I would like to try something a little bit different this evening because I've been preaching too much. Uh, when we started doing Zoom, I tried to keep everything short and I'm getting long-winded, longer-winded. I was always long-winded. Um, and we did Revelation chapter 2 last week where we talked about some of the letters to the churches. I'd like to do Revelation 3 tonight, but I'd like us to do it together. Rather than me just talking to the screen, I would like some back and forth feedback. I miss that aspect of being all in the same room together. I like when people talk to me uh, when I'm preaching. I like that we are informal and people are, you know, make jokes or interrupt or ask questions. I need Bella Roseworm to tell me some random story that has nothing to do with my sermon in the middle of my sermon. Um, I miss that. And so I'm going to tell you a little bit about each city that we're looking at. And then we'll read it and then maybe ask a couple questions and then ask how this all possibly relates to us. A couple things. One, uh, Revelation is written to churches that existed in history, in time, real people, real places. Um, they had church issues and they had church dinners and, and they, uh, they were real people. Um, it was written to them, not to us. We believe we can learn and grow and hear from God through scripture, but it was written to them originally. And if you can hear cars crashing, uh, my son is sitting at my feet playing cars, which is fine because he's cute. Um, it, the revelation is more about their present reality than it is about the future. There is future stuff in there. There's promises that Christ will return, that all things will be made new. That, that's all in there. Um, but we, the, the intent was to help these churches be faithful to Jesus in the midst of a world that looked nothing like Jesus. And so I'm going to read, uh, the first one is the message to the church at Sardis. Uh, I don't know if you were all here last week, but we did uh, four churches last week. Um, and you can catch up on those online if you want. Um, but um, the church or the city of Sardis was a wealthy city, incredibly wealthy. Uh, they had a lot going for them. Uh, one of the things that they were most proud of is they had incredible defenses protecting their city. So they felt like nobody could touch them, except for the fact that twice in their history, someone snuck uh, over the mountain passes and took the city by surprise in the middle of the night. And Jesus will use that to remind them that he means business. So here's Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. Write this to the angel of the church in Sardis. These are the words of the one who holds God's seven spirits and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive and you are in fact dead. Wake up and strengthen whatever you have left, teetering on the brink of death. For I found that your works are far from complete in the eyes of my God. So remember what you received and heard. Hold on to it and change your hearts and lives. If you don't wake up, I will come like a thief and you won't know what time I will come upon you. But you do have a few people in Sardis who haven't stained their clothing. They will walk with me clothed in white because they are worthy. Those who emerge victorious will wear white clothing like this. I won't scratch out their names from the scroll of life, but will declare their names in the presence of my father and his angels. If you can hear, listen to what the spirit is saying to the churches. So someone tell me, something that stuck out to you in that passage anything that stuck out to you
Um, the part where it says, you have a reputation of being alive and you are in fact dead. Yeah. That's not really good news coming from Jesus, right? You have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Um, and uh, yeah, there are, there are all sorts of ways that, that that could be interpreted, but I think that it's pretty self-explanatory. They look alive, they're active, but on the inside there is death. So good. Anybody else notice anything or anything stick out to them? I was going to say that. <laughs> she stole your answer. She always does that with mine too. That's, That's my brother. Yes. <laughs> we were wondering about the part where he talks about scratching their names out or blotting their names out of the book of life. Yes. Um, is that, is that if they overcome in turn or is it, that you know the once saved always safe thing right and if you grew up in the church of nazarene or churches similar uh we had this whole there no one i don't remember anybody ever explicitly telling me this but i've talked with enough people to know that this was a this was an idea where it's like i accepted jesus and now my name's in the book and then i screwed up and now my name's out and then i accepted jesus and i'm back in and and we hold do this whole dance that is not uh, what I think is going on here, nor do I think that's the way that God operates. I think there's grace, and I think we can reject. Kez and I, we like to talk about this. I think we can reject and walk away from our faith, um, but I think this is more to do with uh, the, the Roman cities kept a list of citizens, kind of like a census, and if you didn't participate in the things that they asked you to participate in, you'd have your name scratched out. And so you were no longer afforded the rights of a Roman citizen if you're not going to worship the Roman gods. And so here, Jesus is saying, I won't scratch your names out the scroll of life. Like, you, it might cost you in this life. You might not be able to participate in all the things that you're not, you might lose your citizenship of, of Sardis. But in the scroll of life, the citizenship of God, your name will, will not be scratched out. If you can, turn around, overcome, wake up. Um, so that's, and I, I'm going to type up some of the books because I meant, I forgot, I was going to give you some of the books that I've been reading. Um, but that seems to be the consensus that it was more, it was like a list of who, who belongs and get, Jesus is saying it might cost you, but you'll belong to me in my kingdom. So good question. One of the things that's interesting about this little section is this is the only church of all the seven who has no persecution mentioned. There's no false teaching message, message, mess, mentioned. Sheesh. And there is uh, no quarrel with um, the Jewish people. Every other church of the seven has the Jewish people harassing them, some kind of false teaching or persecution from powers that be. And Sardis has it really good. And I think that's why they're asleep. How many of you, after a large meal, have ever sat in a chair and fallen asleep? Today? Like, yeah. Today, yes, right? Like, that <laughs> is, we call that Tuesday at my house. Um, when you have all your needs met, when you're well-fed, when life is good, it's easy to get comfortable. And so they live in a wealthy place, a secure place. There's no persecution. There's no one harassing them. There's no false teaching. Life is good. And it seems to have lulled them into sleep. And so they are, they're asleep, even though they have a reputation for being alive. And the way I see it is kind of like 
a church that's busy and active and we have all these things going on, but there's no actual spiritual growth. There's no actual work of God going on, but we have all this good stuff around, but nothing's actually changing. Um, and so our comfort, so, so a question I would pose to us is what comforts might we have in, if this scripture can apply to us, which I think it can, what comforts might we have that actually could become a hindrance to our faith or could lull us into a place of comfort rather than a place of relying on God and being faithful in the midst of a world that's kind of crazy. Yes, yes, I agree. <laughs> you said what comforts? Is that what you said? Yeah, like what, what things might be making us comfortable that we we could potentially be asleep and not even realize it i've been thinking a lot lately about um i think everybody here can probably relate whether you've thought about it before or not um as white people we have the privilege of choice and so like chris and i are looking for a house to move into and i'm like i'm not talking to you i'm talking to them <laughs> um i'm just i'm like struggling with this like we have the privilege that we can choose to live in a spot that is nice and safe and huge or whatever like we can find a, a house that's big and but like that would be comfortable but it's not necessarily the most faithful way to live if we want to be people who make an impact in the world i don't know if that's that's a little bit maybe not the same as what you're going for but that's where i'm working through right now works. I think that's right on. Our, you know, we uh, went to a prayer march and a pastor from a church called The Bridge said, you know, are we willing to give up our comfort and amenities and the things we like in order to move into neighborhoods where they desperately need good news and stable families and people who will feed the hungry and and that's a challenging question. It's really easy to sit back and focus on just the thing because it's easy for, we could all say, oh, well, of course I'm not comfortable. I have this, this, and this. But there's a lot of things I think that make us comfortable um, that, that lull us to sleep. Uh, I have a pastor friend that texts me this week. He said, my people always tell me preach the word and then I preach the word and they say, no, 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 not that one. Uh, we like to hear scriptures that affirm what we believe that, that make us like, we're good and those people over there are bad um and and i think that lulls the church to sleep when we focus on everybody else's sin rather than our own sin and that's so just, i think that's just a comfort zone yeah right mm -hmm. if i you know if i preach on what everybody else is doing wrong then i feel good rather than okay i need to preach on the stuff that i deal with most that's an uncomfortable thing and that's not always uh, easy so Jesus says he's going to come like a thief, which is probably a reference to the fact that someone did sneak attacks on this supposedly uh, great defense city. And Jesus is saying, look, all your walls and protections are not going to help you because I'm going to show up. You're not going to know I'm coming and it's not going to be good. But if you emerge victorious, your name won't be scratched out. You'll get to wear white robes, which is a symbol of purity. Um, and he'll announce your name. So like they would have had parades and things where they read the names of the patrons um, who had paid homage. And so Jesus is going to read your name before God and his angels, which is pretty cool. So 
The next one is the church at Philadelphia. E-A-G-L-E-S, go Eagles. Um, okay, different Philadelphia. Uh, this is one of two that does not get any rebuke. There's no um, condemnation for them. Uh, Philadelphia is another wealthy city. Um, they It was a missionary city for the Greeks, not like missionary church, but the Greek uh, empire wanted to send their culture out to the ends of the earth. And so they established Philadelphia as a center to train people and send them out. And then they gave it to the Romans and the Romans used it for the same thing. It was like a, a sending so that we could send Roman culture and Roman gods uh, all over the earth. Um, but they had earthquakes. And so there was a time when like the whole city was ruined. Their temples were knocked down. Um, and um, they had, to, whenever there was an earthquake, people would run, they would leave, they'd go out into the mountains and hide out and wait until everything was safe and they'd come back in. So here is uh, Revelation 3, starting at verse 7. Write this to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. These are the words of the one who is holy and true, who is the key of David. Whatever he opens, no one will shut, and whatever he shuts, no one will open. I know your works. Look, I have set in front of you an open door that no one can shut. You have so little power, and yet you've kept my word and haven't denied my name. Because of this, I will make the people from Satan's synagogue, who say they are Jews and really aren't, but are lying, I will make them come and bow at your feet and realize that I have loved you. Because you kept my command to endure, I will keep you safe through the time of testing that is about to come over the whole world to test those who live on earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. As for those who emerge victorious, I will make them pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven, comes down out of heaven from my God. I will also write on them my new name. If you can hear, listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. There's some interesting stuff in there. Did anything stick out to anybody? You had so little, yet you stayed faithful. Yes, you had so little power, yet you stayed faithful. That's good, right? That's hard. How many of you like to be in control? Honest, yeah, I like, to, I like to drive. I don't like to be the passenger. Uh, I don't like to be on, I, yeah, I just, I like to be in charge, my wife would say. And she tells me I'm kind of particular about some things, but she's wrong, and I'm particular about that. But um, I digress. So they, because they have been faithful to Jesus, they have not denied his name. They haven't, they have not denied his teachings. They have obviously lost out some things have, it has cost them and now they have no power. They have no say in the way the world works. They have no say in government. And so Jesus says, um, he will open a door that never shuts. And it's probably because door after door after door had been shut in their face. You lost your job. You couldn't go to this market. You can't sell your goods over here. You don't get to be involved in the, in the religious festivals. You don't get to be involved in the government practices. And so you have all these doors being shut in your face. And Jesus says, I will open a door that can't be shut. Like the kingdoms of this world may shut you out, but in the kingdom of God, you will never be shut out, um, which is good news if you have no power, if you constantly, and like, that's, I feel like that's hard for us to wrap our head around because we live in a society where we get votes and we get a say and we can run for office if we're crazy. Um, but they had no power. They had no say in the way the world went around. And there was all kinds of awful things around them and they had no ability to influence it other than 
being good neighbors, being kind to each other, loving one another, reaching out to their friends. So, um, good stuff. And then he says, he'll make them a pillar in the temple of my God, or God's temple is unshakable. And so there's a little play on words where they will never leave it, probably referencing the fact that the temples in the city of Philadelphia shook when the earthquakes came and the pillars fell down and people had to leave and leave and run out of the city because it wasn't stable. But in the temple of God, there is no shaking. You will not have to leave. You stay and belong and be safe with God. So trying to shore up the fact that everything is terrible right now, but in the days to come, one day Christ will make all things new. Apparently they're having a battle with the Jewish people again, just like one of the other churches where there's the Jewish people and the, for the most part of the early church, the Jewish people and the Christians worked side by side. They worked in tandem. They tolerated each other. Um, but as the church grew, uh, some of the Jewish people saw the Christians as a, th a threat because Rome let the Jewish people do whatever they wanted. They could, they could worship their one God. They could do their own things as long as they didn't cause trouble. Well, the Christians were evangelistic and they were going out and telling people that Caesar isn't Lord, Jesus is. And so because they had been linked with the Jews, the Jews were like, we don't want you, we don't claim you because you're gonna cause trouble for us. And so they started some persecution of the church. Anything else there? All right. The last one is Laodicea. Laodicea is the wealthiest city in the area. This is they, they, this, these people are loaded. They are arrogant. They look down on everybody, and uh, they they had they were just they were a big deal. They were a center of banking and commerce. They had a fashion industry. They made uh, clothes out of this really fine black wool, and so they were known for their clothing. They had a medical school that had developed an eye ointment that helped with people who were going blind or had issues with their eyes. Uh, there's children, sorry, I got distracted. Um, so they have fashion and, and a medical industry. They have all this money and Jesus is gonna speak to all of those things. And Jesus has some really, really harsh words for him. And then there's two parts of this that are really popularly quoted. If you've been around church, which all of you have, You've probably heard them referenced, but we oftentimes miss the context of it. So write this to the angel of the church in Laodicea. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were either hot or cold, cold or hot, excuse me. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. After all, you say, I'm rich, and I've grown wealthy, and I don't need a thing. You don't realize that you are miserable, pathetic, poor, blind, and naked. My advice is that you buy gold for me that has been purified by fire so that you may be rich, and white clothing to wear so that your nakedness won't be shamefully exposed, and ointment to put on your eyes so that you may see. I correct and discipline those whom I love. So be earnest and change your hearts and lives. Look, I am standing at the door and knocking. If any hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to be with them and will have dinner with them and they will have dinner with me. As for those who emerge victorious, I will allow them to sit with me on my throne just 
as I emerged victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. If you can hear, listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Anything stick out to anybody there? Well, he sure didn't hold back telling what he thought of them. Yeah, miserable, pathetic, poor, blind, and naked. Uh, how sweet. What a nice Hallmark card to get in the mail from Jesus. So did you notice that he, all the things that they had, he tells them they actually have nothing. So you're poor, you're not wealthy, you're miserable, you're not all that great, uh, you're blind, you have this eye ointment, but you actually are blind, and you're naked. You have all this fine clothes, but you're actually naked. So you need to buy gold from Jesus that's purified, probably referencing the fact that they made their money in ways that were probably not very God-honoring. Slave trade, temple worship, all kinds of stuff, um, and money had become a God for them. So Jesus says, buy pure gold from me, buy clothes from me, buy ointment from me. Like you need your eyes opened, you're blind to the truth of the thing. Um, the lady I see in church is they're wealthy and comfortable and they have power and they participate with the ways of the world. Um, Jesus does not hold back. Did you notice the two phrases or two parts that are commonly quoted in scripture? Anybody want to name one of them? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Yeah. So we that's a really popular one, and we use it all the time when we talk about evangelism and sinners coming to Jesus and open your heart to Jesus, and he will move into your heart. But that's not the context. That's how I've always understood it. But here, Jesus is telling the church that they need to open the door. Jesus is not standing on the outside of a sinner's heart knocking on the door. Jesus is standing outside the church knocking on the door. The church is so self-sufficient. They have all their needs met. They have, they know what they want. They're so arrogant and full of themselves that there's no room left for Jesus. And they have pushed Jesus to the outside. And so Jesus is, I mean, imagine the, 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 the picture image is incredible. Jesus is knocking on the door of the church, wanting to be invited in. That is not what you want to hear from Jesus when he writes you a letter. Um, man, like you have a church, but you don't have Jesus, then you don't have a church at all, do you? Anything else stick out there? Or that, there's another popular phrase or two? The lukewarm, yes. So oftentimes we tend, I've always heard it mean, um, if you're hot, you're for Jesus. And if you're cold, you're against Jesus. And if you're lukewarm, you're kind of this wishy-washy person in the middle, right? Anybody else, that's how you've heard it? That's not the context. The context is he is making fun of their water supply. Um, you know how Garden City just kind of has a smell? Like, you know, like the, it just smells. It has a reputation for smelling. It has meat packing plants and it stinks. Laodicea, as great as they were, as wealthy as they were, their water supply was terrible. And there was a town called Colossae where the book of Colossians was written to. And their water was known for being cool and crisp and clear and refreshing and like just good cold mountain water. And they would try and use aqueducts to get it to Laodicea. Well, by the time it got there, it was tepid and gross. And, it, you know, there, it, it was not refreshing at all. It was lukewarm. And then there was a town called Heropolis, which had hot springs. It's still there. You can still go to these hot springs. And it was, it was soothing and they believed it had healing properties 
And again, they, when they tried to bring in hot by the time I got there, it was lukewarm. So actually hot and cold are both positives. Cold is refreshing and life-giving. Hot is healing and soothing. And Jesus is saying, you're neither. You're, you're not healing and you're not refreshing. You offer nothing. You're lukewarm, gross, nasty, stale water. I don't, has anybody seen the movie Signs? It's about aliens and the little girl needs a new fresh glass of water every night because it, her water's dusty and her bedroom is just like full of cups of water because it's dusty. Uh, it's just stale and she wants fresh. Judah asks for cold fridge water because it's refreshing. And so Jesus is saying, you're lukewarm. You are worthless. You cannot bring refreshment and you cannot bring healing. You have no power here. And so I'm going to spit you out. And spit you out is actually a, a nice translation. It's actually a vomit. I'll spew you out. Um, so because the church has nothing to offer the community, they're neither refreshing, they're neither or healing, they have nothing, they're going to be vomited out, which is pretty intense, right? So this is the church that I think, I think this one in Sardis are the ones that most speak to the modern North American church. Uh, Sardis is comfortable and, and, and active, but dead and asleep. Laodicea is wealthy, powerful, has all their needs met, but is neither healing or refreshing for the world around them. Uh, they, they're self-sufficient. They can handle it all on their own, and they don't even need Jesus. So Jesus is outside in the cold, knocking on the door. So how might that show up in our churches today? The church universal, our local church, um, individual lives. Any ideas? Yes. 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 Good. Yes. Yes. I read that and I think the Protestant evangelical church in North America. That's the church I know. That's the church I've grown up in. It's the church I pastor in. Um, and I just, I can see the complacency and the assimilation. Um, there are really... I don't know. I, I struggle <laughs> with the church. And those of you that know me know that. Uh, I, I just, there's some times I'm just like, is this really what Jesus was talking about when he talked about the church? Is this what it's supposed to be? And we have ideas of what church should look like or what makes a successful church. And people are like, well, you know, mega church and we got to have all this and we got to have all that. And, and I'm just not sure we really grasp it. I was trying to think like if we took, if, if tomorrow the U.S. was gone, Canada invades us, and they make us start speaking Canadian. Uh, that's whatever. And and we lose our freedoms, and there's no right to assembly and no freedom of speech. Like, how many people would still follow Jesus? Like, is our faith in Jesus, or is our faith in a culture that uses Jesus language? Um, because I feel like at Laodicea, that's it's kind of like it's a cultural thing. These people are more Laodicean than they are Christian. And my harsh critique of 
the North American Evangelical Protestant Church is that oftentimes we are more American than we are Christian. And we use Christian language and, and we see things that are good like wealth and comfort and power and security. Those are, those are not inherently bad things, but those things can all make us self-sufficient and we depend on those things more than we depend on Jesus. And so the Philadelphia church has none of it. They have to depend on God and it's made them more and more faithful and they can't buy and sell at the market. So they depend on the church and they grow together and they grow closer to each other in Christ and it, and it builds their faith. The Laodicean church doesn't require depending on anybody. They can pay their own bills. They can do their own thing. And it separates them from Jesus. And I'm afraid that we are so comfortable and a life is so easy and good for us that at times we are separated. We could build a church. We could attract uh, millions of people. We can, in Kentucky, I told them, if we want to be a mega church, I know how to do it. Like we can, I can preach hellfire and damnation. I can preach out of the King James Bible. We'll sing Gaither vocal band songs and this church will grow because that's what people wanted to hear. But that was comfortable and that's the culture. That's not what that church needed. That church needed to hear things like, grace and love your neighbor and uh it's okay to read from a different translation than the king james but uh i digress um i just feel like we're culturally like there are churches in saudi arabia gathered today who it will it could cost them their life to do what we're doing and they depend on each other and they depend on the spirit of god to be at work and i'm not sure we always do i'm 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 not sure i'm i'm confident we could build churches without depending on Jesus. Uh, we're just busy and active and we have c really good speakers and really good musicians and, and great fun activities and good logos. And now we've got this thing called the church and, and I'm not sure it's the church that Jesus wants to see. I, I'm convinced like he points out all their shortcomings. I think he could write to us, you think you're free in America, but you're actually in bondage. You think you're secure, but you're actually at risk. You think you're wealthy, but you're actually poor. You think you're holy, but you're actually corrupt. Like, I feel like he could write that letter to us because we just, it's so easy for us sometimes. And we're so comfortable with where we're at. And, and we like to hear things that, I don't know. I don't know. I just get, I just get discouraged. And just, and sometimes I'm like, burn it all down. And sometimes I'm like, Jesus, help me fix it all because Jesus loves the church and I owe my life to the church. But there's, I just, I don't know. Does anybody else, am I making any sense or am I just rambling? Do we see this kind of stuff in ourselves and in our brothers and sisters? Like I'm talking about us too, because we, I'm not pointing fingers. I have it in me, but it's easier for me to point it at other people. Kez, were you going to say something you unmuted? Um. I just want to say that the King James is the Bible Jesus carried, but everything else that you said, it's I true. agreed with. It's true. Yeah. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. Right. Yeah. But we definitely see that like, this is how it's supposed to be. And I think I was like in high school, the first time I heard someone say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm an American. Right. It's like, yeah, well, right. yeah, but I don't think that's how it works. Yeah, no, absolutely not. There was a, a pastor in Kentucky that did a funeral and the guy stood up. They were doing an open mic, which I never, ever recommended a funeral, but they did an open mic. And the guy said, well, we know that Billy Bob here is in heaven because the Bible says all Americans go to heaven. And the pastor stood up and he was like, no, sit down. We're going to, and he said, I preached them from Genesis to Revelation. Um, but so we, that, that's just part of our culture. If we say God bless America, then we're Christian. 
or if a, an actor or actress wins an award and they say, I want to thank God, all the Christians are like, oh, yes, yes, yes. Well, what God are you thanking? Are you thanking the Roman gods? Or are you thanking the God that's revealed in Jesus Christ? Because those are two different gods. Um, and we use the right language. And like, so this is a hard time of year for me. I'm not going to lie. Like 4th of July, I know pastors are really wrestling with how their church is going to do 4th of July weekend next weekend because a lot of churches are going to worship the country. And I, and I love our country. I understand we have rights. I take advantage of our rights. But I think we need to be careful because we don't, we, we are Christians first. We belong to the kingdom of God. And it's really easy for me to say, oh, I hate my enemies, bomb the people I don't like, people that don't vote the way I don't like, they're bad people. Like, and it's easy to divide and, and to adopt a culture of the world around me rather than the culture of the kingdom of God, which is completely different. Um, if I'm supposed to love my enemies, if I'm supposed to serve, like those are not things, like Jesus could not get elected president in our world today. He would be executed. We would run him out of our churches. He would not be welcome um, because he would challenge us and push us. And if we, if we, if someday we we are persecuted um, in the in this country, I think that, that so many people will 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 leave because it's not it's not worth it. I mean, we leave because we don't like the music that the band does, or I know someone that left the church because the pastor didn't wear a tie on Easter. Like, I mean, we we have no actual commitment to Jesus. Um, who, that's where our faith is meant to be. He's the amen. He is the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Not, not our country. Our country will, will one day no longer exist. Even if it exists until Jesus comes, there will be no United States of America in the afterlife. And um, there will be no need for wealth. And so when I give my life to accumulating wealth and things and security, that's, again, not inherently bad, but that's, that's an empty pursuit and if I, you know, my, if I'm always chasing entertainment and what feels good in the moment, I think that's one of the biggest gods in our in our culture right now is what feels good right now. That's a that's an empty way to live, and we'll constantly be chasing the next thing. And I think that's what we see happening at Laodicea, and Jesus is like, knock it off, like this is not okay. And I just, I just, I really, I genuinely feel like we have so much of it. We. We have assimilated to our culture. We don't even realize. That's the thing. Like with Sardis, we're asleep. We're, we're, we're not even aware because of the, we are, we're born into this. This is, this is a world we are born into and we're taught these things and, and it's just a part of who we are. And we, so we have to do the hard work of following Jesus and letting Jesus disciple us and shape us and change us. Like we genuinely believe God can change our character and we need to be more and more like him. Um, Anyway, I'm getting preachy. I'm sorry. Now for the sermon. Um, just kidding. Uh, but, but the good news is that Jesus says, I discipline those I love. And Jesus, when he tells Sardis to wake up, he isn't saying, wake up or I'm going to get you. He's, try he's trying to show them there's a better way. Like we could give our life to the pursuit of security and voting in the right people and having the biggest church and having the most friends and the most fun but there's a better way. And he's trying to like, wake up, realize that there is a better way. And when we follow the way of Jesus, we will participate in that. And it, it will be for our good and our benefit. And so Jesus, he says this to them. Hey, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hear my voice and open the door, I will come to be with them and we'll have dinner with them. They'll have dinner with me. 
As for those who emerged victorious, I will allow them to sit with me on my throne just as I emerged victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Just as I emerged victorious, Jesus says. How did Jesus emerge victorious? Right here, the cross. He laid down his life. He laid down his rights. He said, not my will, but your will be done. And it cost him everything. But without the crucifixion, there is no resurrection. And so the way that Jesus emerged victorious was by laying it all down, by surrendering himself to God, by serving the least, by washing feet, by including the outsider, by, by letting go of security and comfort, by going places he wasn't supposed to go, crossing borders and boundaries, uh, both geopolitical, he went to the wrong country, and uh, cultural, you don't talk to those kinds of people. Uh, Jesus was willing to let go of reputation and all his followers. I mean, the multiple times in the Gospels, it says everybody left him. And that, I mean, would, are we willing to do that? Like, are we willing to lose our friends and our family and our influence because we say, this is the Jesus way and I can no longer go this way? Are we willing to lose political influence by saying we can no longer be okay with this because what you're asking us to do is not the way of Jesus? Well, you're going to lose power. Oh, you're not going to get the laws passed that you want. Look, I understand that. But the church in Philadelphia had no power. And Jesus commended them and told them, you're doing it. Be faithful. I mean, what, what if we, what if Christians just said, we're, we're done voting <laughs> until y'all knock it off. I'm not necessarily advocating that. I, I'm a voter. But it drives me crazy how much we're willing to compromise and give in and assimilate and accommodate things that are explicitly anti-Christ in order to get what we want. I'm not sure that's, that I'm being faithful to Jesus when I do that. The way that Jesus emerges victorious is to lay down his life and his rights. He doesn't demand, no one can make me wear a mask. He puts a mask on because it's the way of Jesus. He doesn't demand that his rights are more important than somebody else or that his way. He just invites us into a new life and a new reality. And so uh, this is the way the cross. And that's why we do communion. It's a weekly reminder to us that this is the way. If we're going to be faithful to Jesus, if we're going to find the peace and hope and fulfillment that Christ offers all of humanity, it's not going to be in having the biggest bank account or having the biggest church or having the most friends or likes on Facebook or, or all our favorite politicians or even Donnie, if Nebraska wins the, the national championship, that will be fun. But you will find far more fulfillment at the body and blood of Jesus Christ that is shed for us and for the forgiveness of sins of many. And when we model this and when we, when we enter into the same way, we believe and trust and hope that this same Christ that appeared to John and wrote to these churches will be faithful to us and will we will get to sit with Jesus and we will get to be, we will not have doors shut to us. We will not be excluded. We will not be left out in the cold, that there is a better kingdom than all the kingdoms of this world. So as we come to communion tonight, uh, I want to, uh, yeah, let's just, let's do communion and let's be thankful people. Let's remember that this is the way uh, and it's not easy and I don't get it right all the time. Uh, but we were at a wedding yesterday, and, and they were reminded that the, the way to faithfully love your spouse is to lay down your life over and over and over again. And so hopefully Kristen will start doing that at some point. Um, nah. Um, 
but if that's that's the way we have a healthy marriage and that's the way i need to raise my kids and that's the way we need to be the church and that's the way we love our neighbors that's the way we show up at work and, and it's hard because we're it's ingrained in us don't be a doormat don't be a... jesus was crucified for the sake of the world but god was faithful and brought from death from evil from darkness life and light and wholeness so we come to this table to remember that it has been offered to us we have been forgiven and set free but to remember that this is the way that we are to live